Hello, and welcome to Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities in the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you are a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, Joan Collins. And me, David Meisegeier. So David, today we're going to be talking about transportation electrification and load management, and that made me curious. Do you drive an EV? It's a great question. I am still driving uh, what is now a 17-year-old Honda Civic. It's still going, but I have placed an order for an Aptera. And an Aptera is not actually a car, it's a three-wheel vehicle, which is called an auto cycle. Um, and it's really an interesting company and, and product. They're a startup out of California. Uh, and fingers crossed, I, I hope to get delivery of mine next year when they start to go into production. Well, that sounds interesting. What led you to the Aptera? You know, it, it showed up in one of my news feeds uh, and it the shape of it is so different from anything out there. It just grabbed my attention and I started learning more about the company. Actually, it integrates solar panels uh, into the exterior so it can drive up to 40 miles a day uh, just from being charged up from the sun. So there's oh, wow. there's a lot about it that that really struck me as 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 innovative and sustainable and and I, I just love what they're doing. Oh, I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Do you drive an EV? I do. Um, I drive a Tesla and it's really changed the way that I, you know, like every day. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just fantastic. It took me a while to get used to the frunk. Uh -huh. <laughs> But um, but otherwise, it's it's just been great. I mean, 20 minutes of charging, $7 takes me about 200 miles or so. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty fun. It's 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 also kind of a neat community, you know. But um, but just really enjoying it. So so speaking of EVs, we are so fortunate to have our very own Stacy Noblet and today with Emily uh, Van Gruber with um, Duquesne Light Company. And before we provide your backgrounds, do you two want to weigh in on what you drive? Sure, Joan. Thanks for having me. This is Stacy Noblet, and I have yet to acquire my first electric vehicle. For as long as I've been doing this, I've had my eye on this uh, crazy development um, to, of different technologies and offerings, and it's been fun to watch. We were getting close to pulling a trigger on a pre-owned electric vehicle at the very beginning of the pandemic when prices were at an all-time low, but unfortunately that changed rather quickly and we um, missed our window, but still on the lookout and there's just uh, so many different offerings coming down the pike. So excited to, to sink our teeth into that sales process again pretty soon. How about you, Emily? Yeah, thanks, Stacey. This is Emily Fangerber from uh, Duquesne Light and uh, thanks Joan and David for having me today. Uh, my husband and I purchased a uh, Toyota RAV4 Prime uh, this spring um, which is a plug-in hybrid, and we get, have gotten about uh, between 45 and 50 miles of electric range. So I would say locally we've been driving 
uh, pretty much exclusively on electric um, and then obviously can utilize the gas engine when we um, are traveling further distances, but it's been a great car and I've really loved having it. That sounds like a great pick, Emily. Okay, let's move on to introduction so our listeners uh, can learn a little bit more about Emily and Stacy. Emily is the Associate Manager for Transportation Electrification at Duquesne Light Company, the utility powering the Pittsburgh area. In her role, she helps develop and advance the company's transportation electrification strategy and has a lead role in designing and implementing DLC's portfolio of transportation electrification programs, including EV time of use rate and its fleet electrification efforts. And if that's not enough, Emily is also leading development of their load management strategy, which we'd really like to dig into with her today. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know Stacy, she's a vice president, transportation electrification, and a senior fellow with ICF's Climate Center. She leads ICF's EV practice and has more than 20 years of experience uh, in the industry working with clients, including Duquesne Light. So Emily and Stacy, welcome again. Thanks for sharing about uh, your cars and we're really pleased to have you on the show. Thank you. Yes, thanks. Yeah, this is going to be a great discussion. I know um, there's just so much going on in this this area of the industry and uh, just really looking forward to it. And one of the ways we like to kick things off is by asking what you guys are currently working on. Is there anything you've recently been involved in that stands out? Yeah, some of the projects that I've been involved in recently have to do with um, really translating what we've learned from program implementation on the EV program side into new program design. So utilities that might be, you know, introducing programs for the first time or maybe getting past the pilot stage. Um, one of the, the great things about ICF is that we're on the implementation side and we're helping to support the design as well. So we can kind of cross pollinate and, and carry those lessons learned forward. And to help do that, I'm constantly, you know, picking up the phone and calling Emily and others across the industry that are really leading the efforts for the utilities so we can help to understand what is going well, what is a challenge, how are different programs kind of pivoting or changing directions, um, and again, kind of applying those lessons learned to the new tranche of programs that are, that are coming so they can just keep evolving and keep getting better for customers. Sounds pretty exciting. How about you, Emily? Yeah, on my side, we've been very busy um, this year getting a bunch of new programs off the ground. So we went through a distribution rate case uh, last year in 2021, um, and we're fortunate to receive approval for a whole portfolio of EV-related uh, programs. And so uh, now we're in the, as Stacy just alluded to, the fun implementation um, side of the equation there. So we've been working on getting uh, both a community and fleet uh, make ready charging infrastructure program off the ground this year. Uh, we launched a fleet advisory service um, where we're actually partnering with with ICF um, to do the fleet analysis. And then um, more recently, I have really turned uh, more of my attention to our load management activities um, and really helping the company to develop a more comprehensive uh, load management plan. So that really encompasses both 
grid analysis uh, and understanding the impacts um, on our grid from electrification, both transportation and really building electrification. Um, and then thinking about, you know, based on kind of what we're projecting those impacts to be, what are the really cost effective solutions that we can be putting forward um, to help better manage uh, some of this new load that's expected to come on the grid within, you know, the next decade or so. You know, that's one of the things that consumers probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about the grid impacts, but uh, I got to imagine you're looking both at individual consumers, but also fleets, right? If, if, if there's a large customer that decides to electrify their transportation, that would have a substantial impact on what you're trying to, to, to manage. Yeah, David, I think you've highlighted one of the big challenges of um, transportation electrification going forward is, you know, a lot of it is very locational. So we're trying to look at our grid from both the system level, right, and understanding the system level impacts and what um, we expect kind of that load profile to look like within certain um, customer classes. Uh, but then we also, of course, have to look at the circuit level too and really understand okay, what do we think is going to be happening? What do we um, forecast uh, as adoption, both on the fleet side and the residential side on our circuits to understand where we think we will have challenges um, or where there is excess capacity and we'll be fine. I can't imagine that's an easy job when there's like no real way for customers, or, you know, both individuals and, and those that have fleets to like, communicate with you and say, oh, by the way, we're planning on buying an EV or we're planning on electrifying our, our taxis next, you know, next month. Uh, do you have a, a way of trying to, like, how do you crystal ball that, I guess? Yeah, we have a couple of, I think, ways that we're trying to be a little bit more proactive um, and understanding uh, likely adoption. So on the residential side, we do offer our actually and commercial, I should say, our EV driving customers uh, a fifty dollars um, incentive for telling us that they have an EV. So that's kind of an after the fact thing, but at least we have some understanding for, I would guess at this point, about um, a quarter to a fifth of the registered EVs in our service territory where those customers are located. So that's, I think, a, a very solid starting point for us um, to understand the impacts. On the fleet side, that was part of the impetus for launching some of our fleet programs, so our fleet advisory service and our uh, fleet charging infrastructure program is to allow us to have that conversation with fleets up front and sooner as they're just starting to think about, in many cases, electrification. So that way we can be much better positioned to support them as they are going through that transition. We understand if someone you know, wants to install 50 charging stations, that that's coming down the road, and then we can really engage in our planning process uh, to plan appropriately for that. Emily, everything but, you just went through, working with Duquesne Light for all these years, one of the things that has always struck me is how you know, small but mighty, first of all, the utility is how proactive you are. I mean, the the simple, you know, just notifying the utility if you have an EV is such a, a basic thing, but not many utilities have actually rolled that out. And I was always struck when when you all were some of the one of the first to move on that. Where is the motivation coming from 
to put such comprehensive programs and ultimately the portfolio together? And do you feel like it's kind of top-down, you know, leadership, state policy? Um, you know, we're seeing that across the country in terms of decarbonization targets, or ultimately just hearing from customers and trying to respond to the, those needs, or kind of all of the above. Yeah, I would say it's probably mostly C, probably all of the above. So I do think that as an organization, Duquesne Light has made a commitment. Um, you know, one of our kind of core tenants is a clean energy future for all. And I think we see an, an incredibly important role for transportation in meeting that goal uh, for ourselves. And so that's certainly part of where I think internally the support comes from for us to be pursuing these initiatives. I think at the state level, um, you know, our Department of Environmental Protection and more recently PennDOT with the, the NEVI funding um, have been really great partners at helping to advance um, both policy and funding opportunities su to support electrification uh, at the uh, both personal vehicle level as well as now starting uh, to really focus on fleets um, too. And so I think that's been another kind of critical factor that Pennsylvania isn't necessarily a first mover in this space, but I think that we are growing um, in adoption and market share in a way that's really kind of helping to kind of keep that circular motion going of, um, you know, advancing these efforts. It's really, really insightful. Stacy. what do you see from the national level? Do you see particular triggers that are stronger than others and driving more of, of the EV push? Yeah, there's definitely a correlation across the country between strong, you know, policy support at the state level and utility program support. So in, in most cases, um, the utility is, is regulated by a, a utility commission of some kind and and their goals, you know, tend to be aligned with with the state administration. And so where we're seeing, you know, targets being put out by state agencies or, or governor's offices, those tend to trickle down and you see more, you know, approval rates um, within commission programs um, to, to get those utility uh, programs moving forward. At the same time, you have to have a market, and that's why you know the the Pittsburgh area has always been such an interesting, really case study because I think Duquesne Light has done a really good job of of you know recognizing that there's it's still early days, but there's a lot you can do to get those systems and processes and really just mindset in place with this load management strategy that Emily mentioned. So, um, you know, a lot of times it needs to meet in the middle. You can't have overwhelming um, EV adoption and, and huge EV registration numbers and no support from from the state level or at the utility level. So we definitely see a mix of, of program types, um, scales, you know, uh, budgets. Um, but there's a there's such good you know lessons learned and kind of sharing across the industry. And I remember working with. Emily's colleague, uh, Sarah Alexic, on some of the early programs. And, you know, really, you only have the California utilities to look to at that time, which were great models. Of course, they still are. But um, that market seemed so different compared to what was going on in the Pittsburgh area. And the good news is it all worked out. And that model, you know, carried through and, and really got, got things started for the utility. But uh, definitely not a cut and paste situation. <laughs> you need to still really you know, fine tune that program design for the specific utility territory. Mm. Yes, yeah, and I would add maybe to Stacy what you just said. 
I do think another important entity in Pennsylvania is our utility commission, and they have been very supportive of the proposals that we've put forward in both our most recent rate case and then and then the, the prior case that you were referencing um, before that. And so I think their support is another big catalyst for why obviously we were able to do um, what we are currently working on in terms of programming um, and sending indicators to the market and the industry that this is a space that they think you know utilities have a role. Just pivoting just slightly, just curious, you've both been at the forefront of the transportation electrification strategy um, kind of overall. Why why this area for each of you? David and I were both curious because you, you've been at it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the clean transportation space, biofuels, natural gas, propane, hydrogen, you name it, and they all still play a role. It's It's definitely not an uh, uh, one <laughs> one size fits all strategy, but in the early you know 2010 2012 Recovery Act funding started to flow, and there was an opportunity really to focus in on electric vehicles as this industry was sort of coming up from nothing and applying what we knew about all those other fuel types as it relates to fleet and passenger vehicles to some extent. Um, it, for me, it was an opportunity to to develop my subject matter expertise, you know, sort of mid career which not a lot of people have the opportunity to do. And at the time I was focused more on, on the government side of things and uh, public sector work. And then, you know, more recently having the opportunity to apply that to our utility customers has just been, you know, such an amazing learning experience. I'm still learning every single day and very lucky uh, to have the opportunity to, you know, kind of ride this, this huge wave with new technology and in such an exciting time in the industry. I think for me, it was really kind of a confluence of factors. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh and then had, you know, moved away for quite a few years. Um, and my husband and I were looking to to come um, to Pittsburgh about three and a half years ago. And so as I was looking around, um, thinking about kind of what I wanted to do next, um, this role at Duquesne Light opened up. Um, and I'd previously worked uh, for an energy consulting firm, um, but mostly working on kind of, um, you know, national federal programs or kind of regional uh, energy efficiency programs. Um, and I really was at a point where I felt like I wanted to make more of an impact at the local level. And so for me, um, this role uh, at this company was a great way that I felt like I could uh, contribute solutions to um, climate change and the climate crisis in a really um, meaningful way in a community that I felt very deeply about. Um, so that is part of the reason that I've wanted to come back um, and stay. And I think the transportation electrification uh, space is just fascinating. It's changing literally every day. Um, and I think the convergence of policy and technologies and programs um, make it a really interesting space to operate. Uh, and it's a great conversation starter at parties because everyone has an opinion about EVs. Everyone wants to talk about either they own an EV, they know someone who owns an EV, or they're thinking about what EV they're going to buy next. So that's oh. fun too. That's awesome. What do you guys see as like the biggest barriers? to to EV adoption. 
I don't think they've actually changed much <laughs> since since EVs yes, really hit the road. <laughs> I mean, they've always been, you know, really you can you can boil it all down to resistance to change. And, you know, we all are used to driving gas vehicles. So we're used to predictability of fueling and we're used to, you know, a pretty set number of miles that you can get on on a fuel up. Um, we're used to, you know, pulling into really any maintenance station to get to get the the vehicle service when needed or a dealership. So those, you know, systems that have been in place for so long, it's hard to think about changing your lifestyle to adapt to a vehicle. Uh, but as Emily said, anybody who's driving a vehicle, Joan, you included, are you know really ambassadors for this technology? You're still we're still in the early adopter stage, um, and many of the the drivers are you know very vocal, very supportive. They're the you know biggest cheerleaders for this technology, um, and so they're willing to say, look, I understand you're you're you know concerned about barrier X Y Z, but here's how I've overcome it. Talking to neighbors, and it is really a grassroots effort, you know, combined with what we're seeing from from the automakers and charging uh, companies. So I'd say those you know those those barriers, those um, charging infrastructure concerns or range, and then of course cost, which right now is is a difficult pill to swallow. But hoping that you know we see um, some changes in the industry on that upfront cost piece. There's plenty of incentives, um, both on the charging side and the and the uh, vehicle side. So those uh, those barriers are starting to come down block by block. So, so do you? Do you think that uh, Tesla's strategy of building out the infrastructure was brilliant then? 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason, right, that they are far ahead selling way more vehicles than any other manufacturer, uh, at least EV manufacturer. And it's because of the charging infrastructure, right? They've given their customers the level of comfort that they can drive pretty much anywhere across the country and get where they need to go, um, you know, pretty easily. Whereas I think if you don't own a Tesla vehicle, there is a lot more concern about, um, you know, one, if there is charging infrastructure at all, um, and then related, I think, is also will that charging infrastructure um, work, which is, I think, another big uh, hurdle for the industry that they're going to have to get much more serious about in the coming years. That's right. Reli reliability. Yeah, I would agree, Emily. Reliability of those charging stations. Will they work? Is the space lighted? You know, do I do I feel safe? Um, you know, sitting there while my vehicle charges. That I'm glad that the industry is shining a, a bigger spotlight on that because it really is something that we need to figure out rather quickly because we're getting past those, you know, mostly patient and understanding early adopters and into you know the the broader mass market. And we're we'll we'll run into a lot more hurdles if if those charging stations aren't up and running. What about the charging connection? Like, we don't have a standard across. The country for that, right? Well, there is there is a standard for level two, and then um, I think in general people have coalesced at the fast charging level around CCS, um, with the exception of I guess Tesla. Um, but I think even that may be changing with some of the nevy dollars that will be on the line here. Um, I haven't, Stacy. Have you seen anything more about that recently? I have not. Um, no, Emily's right. CCS is is combined charger standard. It's a um, it's an you know industry standard for that DC fast the fire uh, faster charging, higher power charging. And you know, like Emily said, Tesla does have their own charger. Tesla vehicles 
can typically get an adapter to charge at any other uh, charging station, but it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Where you know, um, jo you know, if you David, if you owned a, a different type of electric vehicle that you could charge there, but there have been a lot of uh, talks about with this more national fueling network uh, that's being funded through the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program at the um, the federal level that we might see more of those Tesla stations sort of retrofitted and, and opened up to the greater vehicle population. But we'll still have to see what that timeline is and how it actually rolls out. And I was just going to add in, I'm sure the IRA um, is going to help move things along as well. Agree? The Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, and previous to that, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill combined are a huge boost to the electric vehicle industry across charging infrastructure, across uh, vehicle production, battery production, grid infrastructure. So absolutely, it will uh, help us continue to, to move things forward. Joan, what about the uh, incentive for buying a used EV vehicle? From my perspective, that new tax credit is one of the most exciting things that, that we've seen because, you know, equity has been such an issue with transportation electrification because of the cost of entry. And by reducing that barrier for people who aren't necessarily in a position to buy a new vehicle, but this now reduce, further reduces the already lower cost of that pre-owned vehicle. Um, and in a couple of years, we'll start to see that incentive applied at the point of sale. Again, another brick pulled down from that barrier of entry. So to me, that's one of the, the pieces of all the legislation we've seen in the last you know, year or so that I'm most excited about because I think it will have a real impact on more equitable access to these vehicles and of course the benefits that go along with them. Cool. That's great to hear. I can't believe the time has already passed as always, but we'd like to wrap up by asking you both if you could change one thing in the industry with no limits, what would you do? I'll start and I'll let Emily have the last word. Um kind of alluded to it in a couple of different ways I think throughout this conversation, but you know, a new barrier that wasn't necessarily there in the beginning of of this, you know, great industry development of transportation electrification is the supply chain issues. You know, there is so much demand right now for electric vehicles for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, people are, are have got long wait times and are probably getting frustrated and thinking they'll never get an electric vehicle and never be able to afford one. The prices have increased and, and all, you know, kind of perfect storm and, and maybe a not so great way. So if I could wave my magic wand, I would kind of wipe out the supply chain issues that apply to the vehicles and the charging stations and the transformers on the utility side so that these charging stations can get on the ground, that people who want to purchase these vehicles or lease these vehicles can do it, you know, within a couple of months rather than having to wait, wait such a long time. So that would be, that would be my one thing. I would say from my perspective, um, you know, coming from the utility side of the equation, um, I think one area is certainly that I think utilities have to be able and willing to move faster. Um, you know, this is a quickly changing uh, space. And so utilities, I would say, are not known for being, uh, you know, rapid innovators. Um, but I think if we want to continue to be um, both successful and meet, I think, the challenges that uh, a lot of uh, the climate goals represent, 
then we're going to have to move faster. And I think part of that is also the regulatory structure under which um, utilities operate and having to put forward, um, you know, proposals uh, a year in advance, if not more. Um, and then you're implementing, you know, almost a year and a half after you've made the proposal can make it a little bit challenging um, when conditions are changing so quickly. So I think if I could change one thing, it's having a little bit more flexibility um, and a little bit more willingness to take some risks, um, because I think that's what we're going to need to do in order to be successful. No doubt. I, I wish I had magic wands to give to each of you for that. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, been such a lovely conversation, and it is crazy how fast 30 minutes speed by. Um, but if you would like to learn more about Duquesne Light Company and their programs, you can visit DuquesneLight.com. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, we would sure appreciate you liking it and even subscribing to our podcast. Absolutely, David. That was such a fun discussion with uh, Emily and Stacy. I, I always am learning on these, and I'm just really glad that we are continuing to talk with our friends in the industry and, and share some of their insights. And on that note, in our next episode, we'll be gaining an international perspective and outlook from uh, Britain with guest Mark Allington. Mark leads ICF's energy activities in Europe and Asia. So listeners, please make sure to look to December and tune into our next Energy in 30.